Me just standing in line, I can taste the funnel cake and cotton candy, which makes me crave it, but I know that might not be a good idea. Every so often, I scream a scream of someone on the right startles me, but honestly, it makes me even more excited. Main Street was silent. It was the one street that had anything significant on it other than my house. The whole culture of the town laid out in one small strip mall, which is still overwhelmed with two-tone Christmas lights in January. Two schools, a Starbucks, and a shady massage parlor decorate the rest of the street. I headed to the point where the water meets the sand and stuck my toes in the cold but refreshing water. Then I dove into the ocean, kicking up sand. The water splashed and felt super cold on my burnt skin. I watched people run around the beach as I floated in the... It was humid, and there was a thick smog in the air from all the rides at the carnival. It was 6.55. Rob said that he'd meet me up there at the carnival at 7. He still had five minutes. I stood outside the large entrance, sparkly lights all around me. It smelled of popcorn and cigarettes, and there were people all around me dancing and trying to sell candy. So let's talk about students having a voice in a one-to-one technology environment, shall we? I'm Danny Holwig, and this is the Teaching Flashpoint. don't know, a yelp is a loud cry or yell. Now, Todd, I would like you to give us a demonstration of a barbaric yelp. <laughs> Come on, you can't yelp sitting down. Let's go. Come on, up. Gotta get in yelping stance. <laughs> uh, a yelp. No, not just a yelp. A barbaric yelp. Yelp. Come on, louder. Yelp. Oh, that's a mouse. Come on, louder. Oh, Mr. Keating in that scene from Dead Poets Society, right? Many of us in the profession are conscious of it. Not only are we asking, how are we going to keep students engaged, but how are we going to keep them talking? How are we going to make sure they still have a voice in the classroom and certainly share that voice, regardless of what that classroom looks like? Because students can certainly be engaged, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're always heard. Let me play you a quick clip from Andrew Vandermeulen's 2014 TED Talk. Imagine that over the course of that one student's education experience, that at no point in their education do they come home saying, wow, I was heard today. I influenced my experience of my school. And that's student voice. Perhaps it's better to define student voice first by saying what student voice is not. Student voices is not the idea of a choir singing in unison, as beautiful as that is. Student voice is not the idea of students making noise in the classroom or in the hallways or in the cafeteria. It's not a sound. It's not something that you can register on uh, in terms of decibels. Student voice is actually a movement. It's a concept that's being represented by individuals, by academics, by teachers, by students, by educational leaders, and they're saying that our educational system is ready for its next step in the evolution of the history of education. This next step says that students are ready 
to be the primary actors in their educational experience, not only in the classroom, but also in terms of the programs that are offered to those students, in terms of the principles that drive their educational experience. And I should totally mention that Vandermeulen's TED Talk there is entitled When Student Voice is Heard. But I like that moment because it begins to define what that voice really means, what it really should be. And for months, I've resisted writing or podcasting specifically about education in 2020, remote and distance learning and hybrid learning and the virtual classroom and so forth. And it just seems so specific, I guess, to this anomalous year of 2020-21. However, this notion that student voice really transcend such a strange and unexpected year. Student voice is an evergreen idea, but this shift in attention to student voice actually started with me picking up the book by Diane and E.B. and Jen Roberts uh, entitled Power Up, Making the Shift to One-to-One Teaching and Learning. And technology was going to have this major presence in my classroom, regardless of a global pandemic and Google Classroom developing breakout rooms and other tools that we've all started to learn and certainly try to master for our students. And regardless of where my students were, regardless of where I was teaching from, I needed to redefine and reimagine student voice in a one-to-one environment. And sure, I, I guess it turned out that this was a useful reimagining given the time period we're in right now, but this reimagining has pushed me to really think about what school could be, right, to steal from Ted Dintersmith. So here are a few ideas, I guess, I'm definitely holding on to and keeping in the classroom because simply because I'm able to amplify the voices of my students with that you know, in that equitable fashion, in that meaningful fashion, um, and to try to do it safely for them. I want to say Google announced Jamboard in October of 2016. Uh, so it's been around for a little bit, but it certainly has gotten plenty of attention for sure. Not only is it this virtual whiteboard for the teacher, but I almost exclusively use it as a classroom think tank, a bridge to get students to really just unmute and Google Meets and to share. So pose something and then ask them to follow up with it. Find a phrase, right? We can't highlight a whole passage or a whole paragraph because there's 20 of us. But highlight a phrase, a quick description, either of the setting, of the character. What does this tell us about Tom Buchanan? What are we gathering from this moment? Nick? Then the follow-up is easy, since they've had time to think and make their idea public to the class. And from there, I just end up choosing students to unmute and to share. Sweet. I'm going to ask several of you to unmute. It would help us if you... Um, pinpointed the phrase, so if you could read through the evidence that um, you highlighted here and then just talk to us about that, so just so I can grab maybe seven, eight different moments here out of it. Olivia, go ahead and start us off, kid. You, you had one of the earlier ones, so unmute for us, give us that, that line and give us your thinking. It's about giving opportunity to those students and to keep reminding them that this is their class. Hey, why that quote? Hey, that's a great idea. Explain it to us. Can you go into depth and why you think that idea is impactful? And I'm thinking about nothing but valuing their voice and praising every idea we've curated on the Jamboard or the Google Doc or the Google Slide or whatever space it is you're using. 
And and I've used this with Google Docs. I mean, I recently shared an excerpt from the opening of The Great Gatsby about Tom Buchanan and reading through the excerpt as students highlighted and made comments about his characterization and the setting. He had changed since his New Haven years. Now he was a sturdy, straw-haired man of 30 with a rather hard mouth and a supercilious manner. Two shining, arrogant eyes had established dominance over his face and gave him the appearance of always leaning aggressively forward. Not even the effeminate swank of his riding clothes could hide the enormous power of that body. He seemed to fill those glistening boots until he strained the top lacing, and you could see a great pack of muscle shifting when his shoulder moved under his thin coat. It was a body capable of enormous leverage. A cruel body. His speaking voice, a gruff, husky tenor, added to the impression of fractiousness he conveyed. There was a touch of paternal contempt in it, even toward people he liked. And there were men at New Haven who had hated his guts. Find a phrase, right? We can't. And once the comments poured in, it was simply a matter of having students unmute and speak to their insights and the observations that they made. Like you said, he's very judgmental and he seems to be trying to compensate for his own flaws. I think that really shows that like he's stuck in that cruel body despite he's stuck in this moment, stuck in his mindset, even though his whole life is plush, it's comfortable, and he doesn't have to be in the cruel body. He still is to who um Tom Buchanan had become because the house was like cheerful and it to use words like cheerful and bright colors so to me this is kind of like a power stance and him asserting his dominance over anyone coming to the house and i feel like this could be because of like his football career and how he was known as the best this is just interesting because a lot of his physical descriptions are kind of scary but i feel like this is even scarier the fact that he's already peaked in life he doesn't he seems like a man who doesn't really have anything And this brings me to one of my favorite discussion strategies, the philosophical chair. Students uh, love their opinions, right? They have an affinity to argue and passionately discuss their points of view. And the philosophical chair in the physical classroom involves actual chairs in a U-shape or something similar to encourage a debate with one end indicating a, a pro or a more agreeable position and the other the con or the disagreement with a statement or idea. And the instructor, you, me, poses or projects an argumentative statement, uh, something like Gatsby is in control, or the monster is the most human of characters we've encountered, or death row inmates should be allowed to donate their organs. Then I tried this with Jamboard in a one-to-one technology environment, designating a template with that very U-shape. Students created a post-it with their names, and I posed the statements, and they moved their post-its along the spectrum according to how strongly they felt either way. Gatsby is in control. Can you manipulate the Jamboard for me? Olivia, you were one of the first to move, so I'm going to ask you here in a second. Um, and then we'll jump to Tara, perhaps? Oh, unmute and talk to us about that. I was just thinking that like the image of Gatsby has a lot more control than the actual man. I mean, I feel like before he gets introduced, you can you can project and think about all the things that he could be, but when you actually meet him as a character, 
he really is not all that he is supposed to live up to and he has moments where he's like I don't know just kind of cracks in character like especially when he's first meeting Daisy again just moments like that that make me doubt that he's in control Tara I I wanted to jump to you next yeah so I kind of agree with Olivia but um I think he wants to be in control more than he actually is and i think he has the capability to but obviously like he really is like i feel striving with his like work with daisy he wants to have control over those aspects of his life like a lot and i think that search for control i think relates to kind of his job and like the whole east egg west egg thing kind of just the way his money was brought up but I think he, I don't think he ultimately has control yet, but it's something he could do if there weren't so many, you know, confounding variables kind of playing into his lack of control in certain instances. So once I get students to manipulate that board, then it's just a matter of me choosing students one at a time to unmute and explain her or his position to the whole group. Where are you at and why are you there on that jam board? And I can physically see where my students are allowing me to choose some interesting positions and each student has that opportunity to explain his or her thinking. And again, we're engaging and we're getting that student voice in. And if you want something fast, if you want something immediately engaging in your Google Meet or your Zoom, then you're looking for a chat blast. Kids love to message, so I knew this had to be something I wanted to utilize regularly, if not daily. And I knew I wanted to begin or end a class this way, if not bookend the session with a chat blast on both ends. I found great moments to use this midway through our period as well. Yeah, if you could throw an idea in the chat about this behind the scenes commentary about Gatsby's party. Uh, and then we'll try to speak to it. Right, I'm curious if this lines up with Fitzgerald's vision to it. Like, uh, this is a good capture of it. Um, these types of characters, this Gatsby's intention uh, with it all. Uh, Nick's, we even see Tobey Maguire's commentary and, and Nick's insight about going to this party. So go ahead and press enter. When right, I pose an idea, a requirement, a question, or I ask students to share something from their writing or their reading or wherever. And I have them loaded up in the chat, but don't press enter yet because I don't want those other students distracted or feel like their idea might be off track or wrong in any way. And then finally, I just give them anywhere from 20 to 30 seconds, right? to do that and load it up in the chat, count down three, two, one, and tell them to press enter. And hence, we have a blast. And it's from here that I can peruse that chat, identify some interesting, cool, or off-the-wall ideas, uh, and ask the students to unmute and give us her thinking. And similar to those follow-up questions I, I would use for the Jamboard think tank or the philosophical chair sessions. But the chat blasts are faster, simpler, and immediately engage those kids. Sanchez, you have the spiderweb metaphor that stood out for you. Talk to us. Uh, yeah, I really like that because it's, you know, it's really the root of his party. It's why is he doing it? It's, it's to capture Daisy. He's not just throwing this party to have fun. And I thought it was interesting how the director said that he could pull the strings. And of course, he seems sinister. Like Jump in. Um, you, you've got this sense of uh, how, how those party goers felt. So talk to us about that. Um, I thought it was cool to like hear um, 
Tobey Maguire's and oh my, I forget the female actress's name, but how they were like, it was just such a cool experience. And they were like, oh, it kind of like felt like we were there along with like everybody else. And I think that that was a... Megan, are those fireworks um, symbolic for you? Are they necessary for you? They, they're profound in a way. Yeah, I think so. Um, just to, like that they were going off behind him. That's just definitely like not how I read his introduction in the book. Um, just yeah, it's like oh, and here's Gatsby. Like, just makes it much more important that interaction. Yeah, track jump in. Yeah, so um, I mean, just watching the scene just inspired some more thoughts. I mean, in my head, and I'm a person that makes a lot of like allusions and references to other stuff. Um, and I mean, it reminded me a lot of The Wizard of Oz. Um, and I was just thinking of the, you know, how they all like go to like the Wizard of Oz or whatever. The Technicolor part of it, yeah. Yeah, he like has all this like, you know, the seeming power and like his display. Well, in reality, is just a person behind this little like, you know, screen controlling everything. And at times I've had students free write offline at the beginning of class, then come back to load their favorite line from their creative writing or their thesis or insight, and then blast away. And if they know they're going to possibly share and explain, the chat now becomes prime real estate for our thinking. At first, they may not be ready or confident sharing their voices, but set this up as a routine in your one-to-one environment, allow them to practice, and of course, you got to praise them along the way, and this will become a standard in soliciting student voices in your class. However, there is one thing I missed and started doing later in the game. Have the class peruse the ideas in the chat because there are always some good ones and get students to respond to another classmate's ideas. Hey, Caitlin, which idea in the chat do you really like? And then Caitlin gets the opportunity to respond, adding to that class community. I think it was the director was making the commentary, but he was talking about how they wanted to up up everything. So this way it looks more fancy, more crazy, so they can like really display how rich these people's lives are and kind of how they waste so much money like for these parties and that like have that crazy environment. I do want to say, Trick, I do like your commentary on Oz because also like how Oz was kind of a um, fraud and illusionist too. Like that's a great uh, point. You guys, it's the Wayne Gretzky line. Skate where the puck's headed, not where it's been. I wanted to demonstrate to my students that we can be just as engaging, just as vocal, just as loud in the one-to-one environment. Students struggle without that guidance or direction at first, but we intentional, be intentional with that Jamboard, be intentional in setting up a virtual philosophical chair, be intentional with the prime real estate of that chat feature and blast away and you'll definitely find that you don't talk as much and students can own the class again and ultimately the learning. But before we facilitate summative moments for students to use Flipgrid or produce other video commentary, before we get students to produce a three-part podcast on Anchor or a three-part YouTube series on a figure or idea in, in an impact hour, which is another task I'm working on, there still has to be those formative moments, those consistent opportunities to share out loud and be part of a class. We've got to want our classes to skate where the puck is headed. We may slip on the ice or get checked in the board or even whiff when the puck arrives, but we know what direction we are going or we are at least trying to skate that way. 
it's a direction of community, right? Collaboration, jamboarding, and philosophizing, and blasting with a voice, and not being ordinary. Thanks so much for joining me on another episode of the Teaching Flashpoint. Special thanks to my students who are willing to be recorded and have their thinking and writing shared on the podcast, helping me reimagine the classroom and who offered suggestions about what would be engaging and cool during our time together. As always, if you like the podcast, be sure to share it and continue to find us on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, other places that you stream your audio. I have the Teaching Flashpoint blog, which goes into a bit more depth on the topics we discussed today. So with that, I'll see you when I see you guys. I don't mind that your poem had a simple theme. Sometimes the most beautiful poetry can be about simple things like a cat or a flower or rain. You see, poetry can come from anything with the stuff of revelation in it. Just don't let your poems be ordinary. Teaching Flashpoint is produced courtesy of the Peak Studio, a space designed for education staff and students by Avery Huron, Lindsay Spence, Jillian Cherry, and Tatum Gibson. Oh Boy provides the music for our podcast. The Peak Studio is located at Loveland High School in beautiful northern Colorado.